And we're back with another episode of the Pre-Combat Check podcast. Believe it or not, but there are people in this world who choose to handle, find, and work around explosives. Today, I interview my good buddy, Chris. He is currently serving in the Navy as an Explosive Ordnance Disposal Technician, or EOD Tech. The job is very dangerous. It takes a lot of training, and on top of that, Navy EOD Techs can work with explosives underwater, which is nuts. Seeing Chris work overseas gave me a lot of respect for those that do this job. Today, he will share what an EOD tech does, how to become one in the Navy, a story we both shared overseas, and tips for success. Enjoy the show. Chris, what's up, brother? Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Sebi? Thanks for having me, bro. Pretty happy for you. Getting this information out and what you're doing with this, I think, is awesome. And I really appreciate the time that we had together on my last deployment. You were the Navy UD guy that supported us overseas. We had a lot of good times. Yes, definitely. It was a good time. It was an awesome experience. Yeah, I feel like we were surrounded by some pretty amazing people. Yeah, I agree, man. There's a lot of rooms that me and you clear together. Some situations that we got into as well, which is a lot of fun. So many lessons learned. Just thinking back, man, some tough spots. And every time I talk to you, um, I reminisce about those times. That was a good time. You're in the Navy. What years did you join? Because you currently are still serving. That is correct. Um, still active duty. I joined in uh, March 2004. And why did you join initially? Initially, I joined because I wanted to be part of something big, I guess. I wanted to just get some life experience. I wanted to just explore, travel. I started looking into the military and trying to see what options were available. I didn't have anyone to kind of walk me through the process. I don't have anyone in my family that has any military experience. So I barely did some research. I fell for the recruiter that put out the most effort as far as like recruiting, I guess. And he just snatched me up and it happened to be a Navy recruiter. I can understand where you're coming from because it was a very similar approach to how I joined the military and I had nobody to tell me anything about what to do, where to go, what to avoid. And it was that one recruiter that told me a cool story that I wanted to go do what he did. The recruiters, I get it that it's their job. They're going to do what they have to do. So nothing against them. But, you know, at times I feel like you get steered a certain way. They'll not really withhold the information because the information is there, but they're going to try to fulfill the needs of whatever branch they're representing. I would definitely recommend for anyone trying to join the military to do your research, especially nowadays. I mean, this, what you're doing is amazing because it straight up allows any individual to learn about special operations, special forces, all the different special programs that each branch of the military has so i think it's awesome definitely thanks i appreciate it and i hope it does help people out yeah for sure before you became an eod tech what job did you serve i came in to the recruiter's office he was like here's the process you got to do this you got to take this test i was kind of like look whatever can get me out of the door the soonest the better that was pretty much my only requirement i'm ready to roll out of here sign me up let's go Right, so I didn't really care much about what my job was gonna be. He initially signed me up for undesignated airman, which the Navy brings you in. An undesignated airman might be working on the flight deck of an aircraft carrier. You're doing whatever needs to be done up on the flight deck. You do get a chance to see what other rates. Rates in the Navy are what MOSs are in the Army. MOS's job. You're kind of stuck in an undesignated status to where you don't have a job. You might be like grinding or chipping paint or you might be sweeping and you're kind of doing some serious labor. It's important work. I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. 
Long story short, I get a call from the recruiter as I'm waiting to leave for boot camp. And he tells me, hey man, there's this guy that had photographer's mate, which was the rate. And he has the SEAL challenge on his contract. Unfortunately, he hurt himself snowboarding or something. So, hey, this contract is open if you want to take it. I didn't really want to do photography in the military or anything like that. He was like, I'm telling you right now, this job is kind of hard to come by. There's not a lot of openings. He's like, I highly recommend you take this. This is definitely better than what we had you for initially. I was like, okay, is that going to get me out of here sooner? And he was like, yeah, you'll leave in three weeks. And I was like, all right, let's do this. I went to boot camp. Because I had the SEAL challenge in my contract, which isn't something that I had really prepared for, I didn't even know much about it, to be honest with you. The most information I had about that community was Hollywood. I graduate boot camp. I go to a photographer's mate, A school. It was in Fort Meade, Maryland. Graduated from that. I hadn't planned to become a SEAL. I ended up dropping the program. It was a voluntary program. I was like, you know what? That's still going to be there. If I decide to do that, I'm going to learn some more about this. I'm going to go out to the fleet. A school, I dropped that part of the contract and it was fine. I ended up going to the fleet. So now I'm big Navy. I was stationed on board the LHD2 USS Essex at Assassinable Japan. That was a great learning experience. Did a lot of traveling out there. Pretty much all over the Pacific. Uh, worked with a lot of Marines. It was a great time. Except for I noticed right away that the fleet wasn't for me. Just being out to sea for that long, doing three-month deployments, four-month deployments, it wasn't the thing for me. There's a lot of people that love doing that, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I definitely wanted to be part of something a little bit more technical. Photography school was three months long. It was just mainly on-the-job training. Teach yourself, get somebody else to teach you that you work with. You wanted something more you could apply yourself and your strengths, things like that? Yeah, the interesting part for me, or I guess the turning point was being on that ship. Like I said, good experience, good traveling, because I went all over the place. We had EOD techs come on board. Explosive ordnance disposal technicians would come on board, and they would be the response for the flight deck. In case there was ever an issue, they also supported the amphibious readiness group as a whole. I started hitting them up and working out with them. It's funny because a couple of the guys that came on the boat when I was part of Big Navy, I'm actually working with one of them right now. It's pretty crazy. That's cool. Small world. Small world for sure. And being on the boat is where I learned about Navy EOD. What exactly does an EOD tech do? The main goal of all EOD techs, not just Navy, is going to be to protect personnel and property from explosive hazards. One of the differences for the Navy is that we're also going to be handling explosive hazards subsurface, so underwater. Some of the different things that we do, we'll have mission sets supporting base response. Guys might be responsible for responding to explosive hazards on a base overseas. You'll have mine countermeasure platoons. These type of platoons are the ones responsible for taking care of underwater ordnance. That's their bread and butter. You'll have NSW platoons. So NSW is Naval Special Warfare. You'll have EOD platoons that are specifically tasked to support Navy SEALs. And then you'll have Special Operation Forces platoons, which will support any special operations units. In an EOD role, correct? So they're going to be the EOD guy for Ranger Battalion or Special Forces or whatever group needs them. Yeah, the EOD platoon is supporting. They're going to be responsible for explosive hazards, taking care of ordnance items, allowing that freedom of movement for assaulters, allowing them to do their job. 
Seeing it on the ground, it was extremely important of job because every breach we'd go through, every bridge we'd cross, or even right as we got off the helicopters, setting up security perimeter just for the bird to take off, we had to be cautious of IDs, of anything being set up for us to get blown up. It's funny because you guys used to always say rangers lead the way, but I remember being up front all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's because we let you take the hit and then we go continue on. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay, so how do you become a Navy EOD tech? I'm pretty sure you can come in with an EOD contract. You talk to the recruiter and it's like, this is what I want to do. I know you have the option. Let's say you're not entirely sure. You go to boot camp and then you can take a physical screening test that will allow you to select a special program. If you come in with the EOD contract, you're going to complete boot camp. And upon completion of boot camp, you will start a preparatory course in Great Lakes. I believe it's four weeks, maybe three weeks. Now, this preparatory course is designed to prepare you for dive school. They want to make sure that you're physically fit and that you're mentally fit to handle the stress that you're about to um, put yourself through because it is a pretty long pipeline. Basically, you're going to be doing a lot of physical training. You're going to be tested in the water. They'll be able to identify it. If you're not comfortable in the water, it'll be evident. From there, if you pass, you go on to dive school. How long is dive school? That is correct. If you complete that preparatory course, you'll have nine weeks of dive training in Panama City, Florida. You'll learn all the diving fundamentals, how to be a smart diver, how to ensure that you're being as safe as possible. You'll learn a little bit about dive medicine. You'll be trained in scuba, which is self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. And then you'll be diving the Mark 16, which is a rebreather that Navy EOD techs employ for diving on ordnance underwater. Dive school is very difficult, correct? It's difficult in a sense that you are doing a lot of physical training, push-ups, sit-ups, running, You're going to be training hard. You're definitely going to feel the stress of all that physical activity. Also, you have an academic side behind dive school as well, where you are going to be tested on some of this dive medicine. Not only is it important to be physically fit, but also having some good study habits. So yeah, once you complete dive school, you'll head over to Eglin Air Force Base in Florida. It's not that far from Panama City, and that's where you'll start the basic EOD training. And that's about 42 weeks. It is a joint service EOD school, so you will have Air Force, Army, Marines, and Navy. Once you complete the 42-week course that you're there with the other branches, is there anything in addition to that that the Navy does that separates them Yes, the underwater portion. The Navy is the only service that is responsible for underwater ordnance items. For Rangers, you get a scroll when you pass RIP or currently RASP. And then when you go through Ranger School, you get your tab. If you become a Navy SEAL, you get your trident. What do EOD techs get? For the Navy, once you graduate the underwater portion, you will receive your EOD badge, most commonly known as your CRAB or also known as the slick badge. Once you get pinned that, that means you are officially a Navy EOD tech. Is there something you have to do before you're ready to deploy? For Navy EOD, you will move on to basic parachute training, which is going to be three weeks at Fort Benning, Georgia. 
Following basic parachute training, you'll have expeditionary combat skills in Gulfport, Mississippi. That's four weeks where you learn about land navigation, first aid, fundamentals of pistol and rifle marksmanship. After the four weeks there, you'll move to Coronado, California and do EOD tactical training. And that's three weeks. This is where you'll start doing some close quarter combat. Once you graduate from that course, you'll be going to a mobile unit. You could be going to the East Coast, which would be Virginia Beach, uh, Virginia. You could be going to the West Coast, which would be Coronado, California. Or there's a mobile unit in Guam, a mobile unit in Rota, Spain as well. So it just depends what orders you get. But you're looking at five years at sea. You're going to be deployable for five years upon completion of the pipeline. Some guys are very fortunate to where they arrive at the mobile unit. They have a few months where they're not teaming up yet. So they'll get a chance to go to military freefall. They'll have chances of going to professional development courses. So maybe do some post-blast analysis courses, attend advanced improvised explosive device courses, homemade explosive training, not being placed on a platoon right away, it gives you the ability to attend some of these courses. If you are placed on a platoon immediately, it just depends on where they're at in their training cycle. For the most part, you're looking at about an 18-month long training cycle before you're deploying. It's an eight-man team. Yeah, you're pretty much going to be doing everything together. Who you're supporting, that's going to be dependent on how long your deployments are. How much does that affect your family and how much time do you actually get to spend with them because you are so busy and it's not really consistent? Yes, it's definitely hard on the family and it's not just this job. Any special operations, a lot of these fields are so technical that you have to attend a lot of this training. It's just a matter of, you know, communicating, communicate as much as possible. Like, hey, I'm not going to be home for this long and here's what we have planned and I'll give you a call if anything changes and I just try to give as much of a heads up so it's not like a complete surprise. There's going to be a lot of time spent away from your wife or kids if you have that and so that's going to be difficult in the relationship unless you both have an understanding that this is going to be a hard time and the purpose of it outweighs the immediate suckiness. Definitely. You know, I've been in the Navy for 15 years and I've been married for going on 15 years as well so it's doable. It's got its ups and downs, but I feel like we've just gotten stronger throughout the years just by communicating and just keeping my family in the loop of what I have going on. Trying to set realistic expectations and communicate clearly exactly what you know. Yeah, for sure. That's good for any branch or any job at that. Can you explain the overall culture of being an EOD tech since you guys work in such a small team during your training cycles? And then on deployments, you guys can attach with any branch of the military and do a variety amount of jobs. It's a bunch of type A dudes who love hanging out and being around each other. Definitely a brotherhood. Although women are allowed to be EOD techs in the Navy. It's primarily men. But yeah, everyone's really tight. You know, like I mentioned, it's an eight-man platoon. So you have eight people that you're always surrounded. Not only do you spend the 18 months of training together, and then you spend six months deployed together. Awesome. All right, man. So let's talk about war. So you've been on a couple deployments, right? Is there any stories that you'd like to share? I remember when we were going out on a damage assessment, we encountered a bunch of ordnance. I had you holding security and you were all about it. It was just unreal. Dude, you said that story so watered down. 
You didn't say anything that actually <laughs> happened. Just the gist of it, we're going to do a BDA, which is a battle damage assessment. Drop bombs on these two guys. We just went there to go make sure that they were the people we were supposed to get, doing it by the book. Well, when we were coming in, it was 160th that was flying us. You know, they're awesome pilots and crew and whatever. I somehow didn't see this wadi yes. that the back end of the bird, which we run off of, was like 10 feet behind the bird. So I remember sitting, I unclip, and I'm like the fourth guy getting off the bird. I take off, and it's the brownout because the rotors, it kicks up a bunch of dirt, and you can't see anything. So you're just running, going to pull security away for the bird to leave. But on this one, I remember running, and this guy was six inches away from me, right in front of me as I'm taking off. And then all of a sudden, he disappeared. There was nothing but brown dust. So I just stopped, and I took a knee, and I was like, something's wrong. And then the bird takes off. We're getting pegged with all the rocks as it's leaving. As I look down, I see a giant wadi, which is a dried out riverbed. What was it like six guys that tumbled down this thing? It was like, I don't know, 20. Dude, I was down that thing. <laughs> you, you were down it? I was, I was in there. <laughs> My perspective, same thing. Like you just said, brown out. You can't see anything. Everyone's trying to shine IR light, whatever, but it's making it worse because it's just reflecting off of all the dust. And I see canine to my right. The dog straight up started hauling. So he just pulled him down. He was like a slinky down that side <laughs> of the wadi. I just leaned back. It was like a slide for me. <laughs> I started seeing other people come down. One dude broke his pinky. I straight up saw him straighten it out because he just, same thing, just tumbled over. You know what? We should have known right then and there that it was going to be a bad one. Uh, to me, it's the crew and the pilots. Couldn't they just said like, hey, dude, there's a hole right behind you. Don't run into it, you know, or just maybe turn the bird a little bit. No, they're like, screw these guys. We got places to be. We got to get the chow, man. It's about to close. <laughs> Drop these dudes <laughs> off and let's go. Oh, man. We finally recovered from the wadi. Everybody got out. We all get online because we wanted to clear through this BDA. There were trees and it was like a vineyard right behind it. We start clearing through. And to me, I was expecting to see dead people, right? Two dead guys blown to pieces. I didn't see anything. I was like, okay, something's wrong here. And then I forgot who called it up that there was a motorcycle there. They saw something on it. And they're like, Chris, come over here and check this out. Yeah. And then I ended up making my way over there. There was a bunch of mortars rigged to a bike for us to pick it up and for it to blow. Is that correct? Yeah. So there were six 82 millimeter mortars. They were missing the tail. They had packed fuse well with detonating cord and they were all daisy chained. So we had that on the motorcycle. And then we came across some initiation system. Honestly, once I started seeing batteries and different components on the ground there, that's where I was like, everyone needs to get out of here. Mm -hmm. I started grabbing my kit, my gear, and just trying to make it all go away. Seeing the way you handle that, it made me think that you were absolutely insane. I would never touch something like that. I see wires and see explosives and you know it's rigged for you to blow up. That's when I gained a lot of respect for EOD in general. And I realized that the person that applies for that job must be insane. <laughs> uh, I guess initially you might think that's insane, but you know, it's not like, hey man, here's a pair of scissors. <laughs> Cut the green wire. You're getting trained. That's one of the things that I love about this job. I'm always learning from above and below. From the most junior guy on the team, you're always learning. Everything's always changing. Not only are you always learning, but your enemy's always learning too. So you're constantly evolving and just getting better.
No, that's really cool. It makes you want to grow, want to learn. There's purpose to it always. It's not the same thing over and over again. For sure. To where you master it in one year and you're bored of it. Exactly. In the big Navy, I felt like, man, there's so much more I could be doing. I'm glad I'm doing this job. Like I said, surrounded by great people all the time and just learning from each other. I wouldn't change a thing, dude. I get paid to jump out of planes, blow shit up, dive. It's a great time. That's really exciting. What recommendations do you have for those that are thinking to try to become an EOD tech? If you are trying to be a Navy EOD tech, my recommendation would be to take care of the things you can control right now. Get physically fit. Get comfortable in the water. Be able to tread water. Be able to swim. Build your endurance and your stamina in the water and running. You're going to be doing a lot of that. Build your calisthenics. Try to find a program where you're doing a lot of push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups and start developing good study habits like read a book and make it a goal to read it a few hours every day or something just to start getting your mind used to spending that time reading in addition to that you already said it but i like to repeat it emphasize it because the family is so important it could really make your career or your job much better or it could really drag it down and take away and so if you take care of your wife your children and your home that will really add to your overall experience and how well you can do your job And what you said with that before was make sure that you communicate realistic expectations to set the other person up for success. Yeah. You know, that's one thing in this community is teamwork. That's going to be huge for you. You need that support. You can't be operating at a high level when you don't have that support in your household. So yeah, communication is going to be huge. Yeah. And is there anything else that you want listeners in general or people thinking about the Navy or the military to hear? There's a lot that you would have to do to become a Navy EOD tech, but there's a lot of satisfaction behind the job. Just knowing that you're surrounded by a bunch of professionals, a bunch of people who put themselves in harm's way for the safety of others. What can be better than that? If you screen, if you make it through the program, you won't regret it. Yeah, it just sounds like a great job overall, man. Yeah, it's been great. This has been awesome. Thanks again for the opportunity. I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks a lot, Chris. Best of luck for the rest of your career in the military, and I hope you keep kicking butt. Right on. And that wraps up another episode of the Pre-Combat Check podcast. Go to the website precombatcheck.com for more information. Check out my book on Amazon called The Call of the Warrior, A Veteran's Guide to Life and Joining the Military. Please subscribe, hit five stars, and leave an awesome comment to show support. Stay tuned to hear from more veterans and current military members. Thanks for listening.